0: It takes more than adding mountains of metrics and logging in the hope of getting something (laughs) useful to be a great engineer. This is episode 373 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Smith.
1: I'm your host, Jameson Dance.
0: Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice podcast for software developers about all the non-technical stuff, not including logging and metrics.
1: Oh, this one hits home. It always feels like... It feels related... To refactoring, although from another angle, where like it, it's therapeutic. You're adding stuff. It feels vaguely better than before. Yeah, va-
0: vaguely productive. <laughs> Vague. It feels productive. <laughs> you yeah, you're doing fix stuff. You not anything. <laughs> no.
1: But it's better In somehow. In fact, the
0: software might even run a little slower as a result.
1: <laughs> better add some more metrics around that. You to, have to measure out. the
0: slowness. <laughs> you, thank you for adding those performance metrics. Now, would you please add some performance, performance metrics so we can know how well the performance <laughs> metrics are performing? Some performance, performance metrics metrics.
1: <laughs> I mean, metrics and logging are good. But right now I'm dealing with this dilemma of like, oh, I'd like us to have more... We have so much to do, and are they going to tell me anything that I don't already know?
0: Yeah. They told you it's not working right. Good. They told me we have bugs
1: in the area that is buggy. (laughs) They told me the call that scans the whole table is slow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But now you know how slow. That's true. Now you have a quantity to your quality.
1: That's that's true. Now I can make the number go down. It's really true.
0: But that's not what the show is about.
1: It's not. It's not. It's about softer, fluffier, fuzzier things. It's about thinking patrons. I would Yeah. <laughs> I would like to extend some soft, fuzzy, fluffy thanks to Nick Cantar, Braden Keynes, John Grant, Travis, Nick Hathaway, Ola Dappo Fadier, Ragnar, Jonathan King, Web and Testing, Will Angel, Monkey Face Emoji, Ira Chan, Patreon.com. We're hiring Tuscarawas, Ohio, Craig Motlin, I Love Mavis, Alice Jost, Owen Shardle, Jenny Kim, Cody Sale, Kent C. Dodds, Noah Fraser Logue, the Re elect Jameson Dance Committee, Santa Hope are the Re elect Jameson Dance, Boogie Brigade, the, com- the Computerscience Book.com, and Trash Panda. Thank you so much. You uh, have elected to contribute to the show to the level where we shout you out every week. And for that, we just did it. <laughs> if you want to join <laughs> this group, well go said. to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon, where any amount will get you an invite to our Slack team and any amount of enough. Whatever your currency unit is, we'll get you a weekly shout-out. And it turns out you can buy gratitude. You have bought our gratitude Yes. if you do that. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Do you want to read our first question, Dave?
0: All right. Yes. This comes from someone who calls themselves Peter Principal. <laughs> mm. Love the show. You guys have saved my bacon more times than I can count. All right. Continuing to read here. I interviewed at an organization for a senior engineering role, but the interview went so well they actually offered me the option to accept a staff role. I definitely didn't feel ready for that, but I accepted it as a way to stretch and challenge myself. The company has been through some internal churn and rearranging for most of my time there, and I bounced between a lot of projects, which means I've now been at the company coming up on two years, but not really had the chance to grow into the role. Now I've been here a while, I don't have a lot of excuses, and I'm bad at being a staff engineer. (laughs) My biggest failing is that I lack a bigger vision for our project, beyond just meeting customer needs for today. I'm not even sure how to start building that bigger vision. In my current project, this is especially apparent because we do need to meet internal customer needs, but the end goal is a larger platform. We need features that inspire new avenues of work for us, as well as enable current ones. How the heck do I even begin to start imagining what this bigger vision could be? Moreover, once I have that vision, how do I get buy-in for that vision? My inability to do this kind of forward thinking has been a boat anchor around my ankles my entire career, and I'm lost as to where to even start. Help me, guys. I love my job, but I fear I've become the embodiment of the Peter Principle. Help me chew my ankles off to save my career. (laughs) Well said. (laughs)
1: dedication to climbing the corporate ladder
0: yes (laughs) oh
1: this one hits home because i identify with this person a lot i feel like i am weaker at vision than in many other areas so i'm waiting for dave to tell me the answer (laughs) and then i will do what dave says in my own life as well
0: (laughs) oh well the most visionary thing you can do is make something up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think
1: if you say the words AI, you've, <laughs> you've been visionary. I have a vision. It's all AI. Sprinkle some AI on it. I, I feel like we're now seeing the sprinkle some blockchain on it kind of recede into the rearview mirror. And I am grateful. I would rather have the sprinkle some AI on it.
0: Oh, you would trade these two hype trains?
1: Yeah, this I would way rather have the AI hype train than the blockchain hype train.
0: It's true. I, I understand why you're saying that. I mean, at least you're not tempted to go throw your money into AI and <laughs> <Didn't> lose it. <laughs>
1: yeah, I've only spent a few bucks a month on OpenAI. <laughs> yes. and speculated with tens of thousands of dollars on dodgy pump a, a, and dump schemes.
0: Dogecoin. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm latching onto the word platform here, so I hear this a lot, especially at bigger companies. In fact, when I worked at a big company, I got I felt this pressure. People to build a platform. Yes, turn it into a platform, and I'm like, oh, okay. So I we were building an internal software tool used by we probably had like a dozen or two different teams who used our service, uh, air quotes Mm -hmm. platform. Yes. And we always wanted to expand it and create a more self-service platform that more teams could use. And the, the company was big enough that it could be hundreds, if not thousands mm-hmm. of teams could have benefited from it. Pro- probably hundreds in this case. And I really I did lack like the vision to pull that off. And I was I was always very impressed with people who could take a – they could look at a set of needs from a set of uh, customers or, or problem sets. And then they could then devise a elegant platform that could fill – that could meet all those needs, and and then be extensible for more. I, I always I was always very impressed with people who could pull that off.
1: I feel like it takes some guts too. I guess it doesn't take guts to just say the word platform over and over again in every <laughs> yeah. meeting, but to to really do this, you are predicting the future to some extent, and you're yeah, you're 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 betting on something that isn't obvious. Otherwise, it wouldn't be vision in air quotes. It would just right. be like the the list of tasks to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think for every attempted, there's a lot more attempted and failed platforms than there are successful ones. But we only ever hear about these successful ones where, you know, the founder had a vision. I mean, I I don't know. I'm just thinking of something like GitHub. You know, it's like someone mm-hmm. took a look at Git and said, you know what Git needs? They need a cloud-based pull request system. You know, and it, what a gamble, right? Like nobody nobody was really thinking in those terms. But boy, yeah. did it pay off. And it enabled a whole bunch of amazing workflows and thousands and thousands of, of teams use it every day. And so like people look at that kind of vision and they say, oh, just do that. Do that one. Yeah. It's hard just to have a,
1: Have a vision like that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> go have one.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, f- I feel like all the really successful examples you could point to are also kind of singular. It's not yeah. super <laughs> easily repeatable.
0: <laughs> just go make a... just. Look, it's like GitHub, but for insert your company name, internal project. So uh, staff
1: engineer, I think this this feels right that you would expect a staff engineer to be thinking further ahead and bigger picture than Mm -hmm. the short term kind of get this project done. So I can understand the expectations that you... It's not clear if they're placed upon you or you're placing them upon yourself, but that, that matches up with what I would expect a staff engineer to do.
0: For me, it's a little hot on the requirements. I, I don't know. I think a lot of companies define staff engineer differently, but I tend to think of staff engineer as tech lead for one team. So you are responsible for the technical direction of somewhere between three and eight engineers, and you're helping guide and that team to deliver on its on its roadmap, on its goals. But I, w- I would actually say this kind of vision where you say, look, I'm trying to get you to create this basically essentially define a product that's going to be something that enables new work that we can't even imagine today that to me is a little bit more than staff engineer i think maybe principal engineer
1: i think you've just contributed to title inflation dave <laughs> no i'm Shame deflating
0: it i'm deflating it i'm saying i'm saying that Oh wait, maybe no. no, You're saying you have to be a principal. You're inflating it. Oh, you're right. Oh shoot, staff. That's a team
1: lead. Principal. Principal is what really does this kind of thing.
0: Oh, you're right. I'm my bad. And if someone had written in and said, "I'm a principal engineer and I'm being asked to do this," I would have said, "No, no, no. That's for distinguished engineers. That's a level (laughs) a level above you." (laughs) Yes. And I don't even. Obviously, I don't even know what inflation means. (laughs) features that inspire
1: new avenues of work as well as enable current ones. I mean, I said I'm bad at this, so my advice is going to be bad. I I suggest you give it anyway. When I have seen this done well, someone is combining observations they have with a conviction that they have. So they go out and collect data about what the needs are and ask how people are using it now or what kind of stuff they want to do. Sort of like the customer research thing. But just just doing that is not the vision. And, And I think if you can synthesize those into some kind of principle or... Broader overarching theme that that's where you get the vision out of it. So, talking to people to understand what do you
0: mean by can you say the part about theme again? I, I lost it there.
1: So, this is hard to talk about in the abstract. This is what uh, I mean this is just more similar evidence. to vision. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Same problem. <laughs> so maybe they build a CI system yeah. at their company. Okay. And there's like I don't know it's too slow and it'd be great if the logs let you dig in at different levels a little bit more and like there's a, there's a ton of incremental improvements you could see to the system and tons of stuff that the users are probably asking for and just saying like here's all the feedback we wrote it down and prioritized it in order is i think would not qualify as a vision yeah because it's not tied together by any coherent theme or outcome it's just like it will do the stuff people want better <laughs> than it does now
0: yeah so
1: so i think the the step to turn it into a vision is to do that is to say what is what is in common from the stuff people are asking for or, or, or even it might not be things people are asking for, but like the needs you have uncovered by talking yes. to people about it or that you see based on your experience. I think. And what's like a, Oh, go ahead.
0: No, no, you, you finish your thought. No, I'll go.
1: I'm being visionary. Yeah. I, Don't stop me. I know. What am I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Just let the vision flow. <laughs> it's gone. It's, it's Aww. blown away like a dandelion seeds. No, I, I think if you can use those as input and pull together a, like, couple of sentence summary of of here is what the organization will be capable of when we are done the the vision is what helps you work backwards to decide what to work on so you kind of yes. grab all the data out there and observations figure out what you want the world to look like in n number of years two five whatever and then kind of plan in reverse from that i feel like that's as close as i can get to explaining
0: yeah it. i like that i like that I'm not sure I've really done this very well, but I do have an idea for how to get started. And unfortunately, this idea—the way that I describe it—is almost definitely going to make me sound like a huge schmuck. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I guess I guess by giving that preamble, I hope I'm mitigating some of the schmuck sentiment that that's going to come come over the wire here. When clearly I clearly
1: a schmuck would never say that. Yeah, so. exactly. How can I be a schmuck when I just
0: <laughs> self-accused? <laughs> of yeah. being a schmuck. Okay. Yeah, so you're here, good. Here's what I would start with. Oh man, I just thinking about the words I'm about to say make me feel crappy, but I'm just going to say this. I would actually start with becoming very cynical and assuming everyone who you talk to about this is stupid. Okay, now I, I don't mean literally like you think they're a bunch of idiots, but just try to put that... Put that mindset on like, these people are a bunch of idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. And then you go out and you start talking to all the people that are using your team's software right now, as many as you can find. But like I said, you you assume that everything they say is stupid. And, And the reason I say that is because your job is to uncover the underlying problems that are making them say the words that they're saying. Because the words that they're saying will never actually tell you what to build. You have to go yeah. discover those underlying problems. And people actually tend to just describe what they want, but they never actually want what they say. And then the problems tend to be, for whatever reason, they're just hidden. They're hidden behind the words that they say. And I think yeah. the, the quintessential, like the textbook example of this is when people said, hey, Henry Ford, how did you come up with the idea for the mass-produced vehicle? And he said, well, I certainly didn't ask customers for it because they would have just said they wanted a faster horse. you know." Yeah. And I, I don't even know if Henry Ford said that. He probably didn't. Let's be honest. I don't even know. But- but you can see he kinda had a, a cynical view toward customer feedback. Like he basically assumed that they were a bunch of idiots and that he only he could know better. So that's so please forgive me for sounding like a schmuck, but that is the mindset you have to go in here. Is like you're a detective piecing together a murder case, but all of the witnesses have incentive to lie to you. Now they don't they don't really think they're lying to you. Like I wanna be clear. I don't and I don't think people are stupid, but when you go in with that mindset, I think you can sometimes pick out the problems and then start writing all these problems down. You know? And and when I say problems, you have to be careful not to go super abstract. Like you know how a lot of these companies will advertise their product? They'll be like, I'll, I'll go to some company website. I'm like, what does this product do? And they'll their main description is we accelerate Return on investment. You know? and I'm like, it's a revolutionary <laughs> platform for innovation yes.
1: distribution.
0: Yes. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but what does it do, hmm. right? So you do, yeah. have, you do have to stay away from that you, because if you go deep enough on these, these problems, everyone will say, eventually they'll be like, well, I need to do a better job and live forever. You know, it's like, it's like okay, <laughs> that's that's you went too deep. <laughs> so come back. If, oh man, imagine if you
1: pivot from building a CI system to biotech to help extend human life.
0: <laughs> it's a platform for human immortality.
1: <laughs> that that would be visionary. <laughs>
0: how, how visionary Clearly, do you want only a staff
1: be? engineer could <laughs> could come up with that. Oh, what was I too visionary
0: for you? Sorry. Are you scared? (laughs) Are you scared of my vision? (laughs) Anyway. It appears that you
1: lack the vision to appreciate my vision.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. So, you know, Jameson, you know how when you use a product, I don't know, it could be something as simple as a door handle, but it could be as sophisticated as a piece of software. And you have all these little problems with it. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'll give you one example. In my bathroom, I have a cabinet. And that cabinet has these Teeny tiny little cute little knobs that you use to open it, but they—they are—they're wider at the front and then they taper down to a narrow neck that then is connected to the cabinet. Right? You got the—you got the idea. Yeah. Where you can kind of slip your finger behind it and pull it open. Well, uh-huh. they are just the wrong size on that taper to where my finger gets stuck, and I—I I pull the cabinet open and it pinches my finger and like torques it <laughs> about one out of a hundred times, and and so. I have this problem <laughs> right? where it's like and there is no amount like there is no way that the designer of that hardware of that little cabinet pole ever would have stumbled upon that. But I have this problem with it. And 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 mm-hmm. for some reason, you know, people have problems like that that they want solved, but they never just come out and say, I have this problem where my finger gets stuck. You know, they say, yeah, can you make a bigger knob? You know? Yeah. But they won't tell you it's because my stupid fat fingers get stuck in the <laughs> Stuck in yeah, it. Yeah, and hurts.
1: so I I think the vision piece here is to say, well, what if we didn't have to use fingers at all? What if they right. just what if we had robots to open them for us? Yeah,
0: so your real problem is you had to lift your arm up <laughs> to the cabinet. That's the problem yeah. I'm gonna solve. And and actually that's great. Yeah. That's great thinking. Thank you. Anyway, you're just oh you're so visionary.
1: Oh, thank you. This is I think there's a lot of overlap here with the, the discipline of product management because for that sure. is kind of the job is is like figure out what to do in a, that, mm-hmm. that solves the problem, not does the thing the customer asked for directly.
0: You know, and we we kind of made fun of AI for a moment there, but I I've actually seen AI these new large language models do a pretty darn good job of synthesizing hundreds of feedback verbatim feedback text from from users and create and then turn it into themes. In fact, one of the product roadmap products that we use at my current company has a little AI beta feature set in it and you can you know we'll we'll get hundreds of pieces of feedback sometimes and just mm-hmm. reading all of those and keeping track of them in your mind enough to, to generate you know cross-cutting themes across all those is very hard for me but when you tell the ai to go generate you know read these these hundred paragraphs and then give me a theme it does pretty good mm-hmm. so you know i guess i don't know why i'm telling you this but like you can you can kind of bootstrap the vision process a little bit by using some of these ais
1: hmm. We just ask, yeah, ask, ask one of them what your vision should be.
0: Actually, it's not bad because I think sometimes for me, I have a failure to even get started. Like I think down, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put thirty minutes on my calendar, and I'm just gonna create vision. You know, and I just stare at the screen <laughs> yeah. for thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah. to like, do gotta- <laughs> vision. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, Chat quickly GD it D- pivots into
1: adding metrics and logs instead. <laughs> <'cause-> <laughs>
0: That's way easier. <laughs> That's way funner. But look at the graph. That is
1: that is a that is the thing I do all the time. It's like, all right, I got to carve out some time for strategic thinking, and then yes. I'm like,
0: uh, oh, I found a I'm bug. Just Let go me fix this bug. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let me carefully log this and fix it. Um, yeah, <laughs> but honestly, when I sit down with ChatGPT and I'm like, "Help me shape vision for my product. Here's here's 12 things I know about it and 12 problems. I come up with seven creative ideas for how to make a platform out of this." And it'll actually come up with. I've never had it come up with the killer idea, but it'll it'll stretch in seven completely different directions. And then I'll read those and I'll be like, "Oh, oh, I have some ideas now." Like that's a bad idea, but it gave me a good idea.
1: Yeah, I love that. Like being motivated by. Disdain for how stupid its responses were. <laughs> like, oh look, no, just, no, 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 it's just more... so wrong.
0: Here's <laughs> here's the right way. <laughs> yeah. So start with assuming that the AI model is, a, is an idiot. <laughs>
1: yeah. So There's cynical theme here.
0: Uh, anyway, I, I want to pivot briefly. We probably need to move on to the next question, but I do want to pivot briefly onto the question, the sub question here, which says, how do I get buy-in for my vision once I've got a vision? Do you want to do that one for a minute? Mm, sure. Okay. I, go, ahead, go ahead and answer necessary, it now. Necessary. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Just. Necessary
1: but insufficient to repeat yourself about a million times.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: Like if you say it a few times, it, no one will remember it. It won't. It yeah. won't Stick in their minds at all. You have to. You have to be so consistent about it over yep. and over and over again.
0: I also think you have to give it a name. And as weird as this hmm. sounds, human psychology really needs a name for something. Because let me, let me give you an example. Let's say that you wanted to take a whole bunch of your technical, like your architecture of your, your infrastructure. You've got a bunch of, let's say, like virtual machines all over and you want to migrate to some kind of serverless architecture, but it's complicated. You've got these databases and stuff. And so you could name that the following. We're going to move all of our self-managed virtual machines over to serverless architecture along with cloud-based hosted data stores. Or you could call it Project Monkey Toes, you know? Project Apollo. Everywhere I've worked has had to have Apollo. something called Project <laughs> yes. Apollo. Yes. Just give it a name because once you give it a name, people can actually refer to it. And when people can refer to something, it ge- it, it makes it possible to get traction, like psychological traction with that. So you definitely need to give it a name. I love that. Project Apollo. And Apollo is the default name. I think we should just go with that. <laughs> yeah. Or Icarus. That's another good one. But like even today, for example, at my current company, there was a project called Project Kramer. And I only know about this project because it did not finish. And it was years ago, but I still hear the name sometimes. And I'm like, hmm. whoa, that these names have staying power. So I know it works. I like it. The other thing you got to do is start writing. You really need to write these things down. Describe, you know, do like a vision statement that, you know, a few paragraphs to describe what the future world will look like explicitly state the problems that you're trying to solve so you can get buy-in from everyone on yeah these are important problems and and if you can't convince yourself in writing that these are the problems that are worth solving they're worth engineering time to solve then you're not going to get anyone else's buy-in so write it down until you feel convinced by it yeah
1: if all else fails you should ask your boss what their vision is and then <laughs> just take it as your own
0: yes and don't be surprised if your boss also has no vision. They're like, oh, I actually am really bad at this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was kind of hoping that you would do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Have we answered the question?
0: I think good luck. Let us know how your vision goes. And also, I think, oh, last thing. Don't feel bad. I, I Hopefully this was implicit, but don't feel bad if you're like, I'm just, I just don't have vision. I don't have long-term planning. I think 99% of people don't, including yeah. me. Including Jameson, I mean, he he said it out loud, but now I'll say it out Dave, loud. Dave,
1: what's your vision for this podcast?
0: I my vision for this podcast when we started was that we would maybe do two or three episodes and then we would run out of content. <laughs> that was my vision.
1: <laughs> my, my vision extends one week into the future, yes. which is do the next episode <laughs> with Dave. Talk to my friend Dave next week. Next week. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good Every week it refreshes. day vision. <laughs> yeah. The seven the famous seven day plan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. All right, let's read the next question. All right.
1: This is from a listener named Trevor who says, I work at a data as a data scientist at a small company. I joined the company specifically because of the positive work environment. I do mostly software development and until recently have only received positive reviews. Recently we had a heated meeting with the CTO and CFO where we demonstrated that a customer's request wasn't feasible. The CTO challenged and expressed disbelief in our numbers which we had thoroughly analyzed and confirmed as accurate. I felt like their reaction was due to our results conflicting with our business needs. After that, my manager began pushing me to prioritize data science tasks. They attributed the outcome of the meeting to my lack of attention to detail even though the results were accurate. They also said this would affect my next performance review. We reached a resolution when I apologized and committed to improvement. I have only received positive feedback since, but I still feel the assessment was unfairly based on Mm. such a brief meeting. Ouch. Now I view the company and my manager differently. Without the positive work relationships with management and colleagues, I'm not sure what is keeping me here. Our tech stack is outdated. There's reluctance to change practices. For example, we don't have a CI/CD pipeline until recently. Additionally, the performance review and promotion schedules are nebulous and irregular. I'm uncertain about my next steps. Should I address the perceived unfairness of the meeting feedback? Or would it be better to start exploring other job opportunities?
0: Woohoo! Asking us if you should quit your job in this climate. That's that's a (laughs) nice move. For a while,
1: we were like being disciplined in saying, you know, we're not going to give that advice. And now the world has shifted to push us away from giving that (laughs) advice.
0: Yeah, exactly. It used to be self-imposed. Now it's... Reality imposed.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was talking to to somebody who was looking for a job for the first time since things worsened in the in the tech market. And I mean, it's it's everywhere. You hear it everywhere. But just confirm to me, like, yep, still still different out still there. Still different.
0: Still hard. So probably we want to take that off the table and figure out how to make this work. Well, I got some ideas on this. I I think I have two thoughts, Jameson. Let's compare. How many thoughts do you have? I have zero thoughts. <laughs> I win. I win. <laughs>
1: My thought is I would love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> you have one thought. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> okay, now I now after all that I have to try to remember if I can actually recall those two thoughts. So the first one oh. the first thought was this is why presentation and confidence is just as important as actually doing your homework beforehand and making sure that the information is accurate. When you show up in a meeting and you get pushback, are you sure that's right? And you're like, oh, well, I mean, we're, engineers are so analytical that when we get a little bit of pushback, we're like, oh, yeah, maybe I should go double check this, you know? Yeah. And instead, I think if you've really truly done your homework and you're in a meeting with a couple of executives like this and they start pushing back on your numbers, I think that's where you stand up and say, these are thoroughly accurate. We scrutinize these. I have total confidence in them you know and and then to kind of pivot the conversation, what are we gonna do about it? because I you know what I heard was that the the numbers were true but bad. <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah, that's not what the business wants the numbers to be. come back again please when they're closer to what we need them to be. yeah so saying so it's like look, this is reality. I know it's not what the business wants. Let's talk about what we do about it. You know? Because that's what the executive's job really is here. Yeah. And the messenger got shot. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's
1: unreasonable that they would poke at... If they're trying to make decisions off of this data and it's surprising to them and uh, it doesn't seem unreasonable that they would poke and I feel like executives are often more... Willing to prod and poke at yes. stuff it's, in, in it's an almost, aggressive way. It's
0: almost their job, really. Because they yeah. an executive gets just spammed with information. And a lot of it is crap. And their job is to cut yeah. through the crap and find find reality and try to make good decisions.
1: Yeah. Express disbelief in our numbers, which you had thoroughly
0: analyzed and confirmed as accurate. But they weren't what you wanted to hear. I guess one, one lesson learned here is make sure you only tell your CTO and CFO what they want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> they don't they're not exactly interested in reality, it would appear,
1: yeah, I wonder if so i mean we're we're kind of narrowing in on the present or focusing in on the presentation, but yeah, I'm gonna do it anyways. I think it would be important to i mean you might not need to go through like your Jupiter notebook or whatever you use line by line to show, and here's how I got the data. But if you can provide some high-level overview of what the assumptions are, like we collected this from yep. this many customers f- over this time period or whatever, because it it might be, that might address some of the disbelief. Maybe maybe they think like, well, surely this can't be representative of our customer base, or maybe it was before we made this big yes, push to ship yes. new features or, or something.
0: Exactly. Like, Does this include that outlier from July of last year? You know, that kind of thing
1: yeah yeah like is the math right feels like a different question than like, wait, this doesn't make sense with what i what I expect from yeah other information I know about the business that so that is if so you can true kind of outline the boundaries that is useful in in helping them fit it in.
0: I've been on the receiving end of this where I'm in the executive seat getting a presentation given to me, and I always have these these questions that are like, okay, yeah, I know, okay, revenue dipped here, but I know that we lost a a big customer in that month and that was super out of the ordinary. So, what happens if you just take that anomaly out? Now, what do the averages <laughs> look like, you know? And yeah. and I have done that and I think it kind of frustrates people because they're like, "Oh, really? Like <laughs> why can't you just accept reality?" And it's like, "Well, I need to know I need to now kind of predict the future, you know? It's like you gave me a time some time series data points and I need to know if those are predictive or not, you know, cause like we might need to pivot our strategy, our strategy, or it just means that, you know, that was a one-time thing. It's not going to happen again. We don't need, don't need to worry about it.
1: Yeah. What about this? This stuck out to me as very weird where the manager said it would affect your next performance review. And then you apologized and committed to improvement. The apology f- part, feels strange to me unless i mean there's like did the meeting go very poorly did did your manager think it seems like your manager thinks you didn't prep enough or something but but i don't know this apology part feels weird to me i would feel weird if my yeah i agree if my boss made me apologize especially when i didn't feel like i was wrong (laughs)
0: like i don't know yeah, that was a little bit weird to me, too. It's was like, okay, now that you've apologized, I'm satisfied. In fact, that's a problem for me. And the fix for that problem, though, I think is not to go revisit that. Yeah. You know, like that's, you got to let that go now. And I think nothing will fix the past like an awesome performance in the future. So if you yeah. show up at your next meeting and you demonstrate the kind of confidence that they're looking for and the kind of information that they need... And I don't. I don't mean falsifying information to be what they want. Although yeah. that would be that would honestly that would be just desserts. <laughs> you know, it's like well,
1: <laughs> I'm sure it happens all the time. <laughs>
0: Definitely happens. Um, I'm not saying to do that.
1: My objective for this meeting is to make them happy. Exactly. And boy, will I achieve that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing meeting. but great news for you all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but I do think that you can show up and you can learn from how that meeting went because, like it or not, the. The meeting did not have a good outcome, and you know, you the, the question asker here feels like they they presented all the correct data, they did all their homework and whatnot, but the CTO and CFO came out feeling skeptical and frustrated. So you you've learned a few things about how to manage that, I think, and I'm I'm assuming from these interactions. And now next time you got to go in and present the information and make sure you preempt all of their what's the word like doubt questions, kind of their fear, uncertainty, and doubt questions that are they're going to come your way and yeah. have it go just tremendously well and i promise you these people will look at you completely differently they they will they won't forget about the past but they'll be like wow this person got so much better and and i and the reason i promise you they'll do that is because they want to congratulate themselves on this, on making you better <laughs> and, yeah and it will fix the working relationship even though it's going to feel a little bit disingenuous on on your side, because you're gonna be like, oh, I had to do a fake apology and now I'm I'm better, but really my work hasn't changed. But something important did change, and that is your ability to communicate information to different types of human beings than you.
1: I think you have it feels like reality forked in this meeting where your manager's understanding of how it went and what you did doesn't match your understanding of how it went and what you did. And I think it all I think it would be a mistake to try to rewind that like yeah i don't think the solution here is is actually convince them that you were right and they were wrong to make you apologize and tell you to do better like that's not there's enough squishy human bias stuff going on there that even if that is the absolute truth it's it's gonna be painful to make happen and i, I think i'm saying what you were saying in different ways but if if you can focus on the outcomes that your manager wants to see
0: from you and give them
1: yeah, and, and deliver them in a way that you both agree, then then that's that's what they want. And and you might have this this blip in the past of like, yeah, that was weird and it sucked and I don't know, it's never gonna like magically remove itself from our memories. But if that was a thing that happened and we've we've moved on and gotten better, that feels much different than like carrying around this this It's like a chip on on your shoulder of like yeah. they were wrong and they never became right like they never recognized it
0: right and that's gonna suck but you know what this won't be the last it will suck yeah (laughs) it won't be the last time this happens and you're gonna have to learn how to let that go yeah and in fact i might even you know this might be bordering on sappy but this might be a time to learn how to forgive someone now if because you know i feel like you were wronged honestly like it it doesn't feel great to me but it might be time to learn how to let go of those feelings assuming that this CTO starts behaving better when you start delivering the results that they want. If they don't, if they just can't adapt and and everything you do is, they call it a failure, then you gotta move on. But if if the next time you present, they're like, that was great, so much better, good job, then I think you're gonna feel better and it'll be better if you can let go of the grudge from the last time.
1: Would you, I'm just thinking out loud here. I mean, say you have a meeting coming up in the future I feel like you want your manager to be on your side going into it where... Yeah, you do. <laughs> you They know what the results are. They know how you're going yes. to present them. They understand in much more depth than, than you'll be able to show in that meeting because you've gone through them with them. So I could see the meeting being tough if you don't communicate the results well or if the results aren't what, they ex- what the execs expect and it means that hard... Decisions are gonna happen. Like I don't know, they're people, and and so if their plans get blown up, they're gonna be frustrated. But if 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 you can accurately communicate information, even if it makes them frustrated, like you and your manager should both agree that we did it. Yes, it sucked that that like they were mad, and maybe maybe they behaved unprofessionally even. But if your manager is is upset at you because they were mad. And that at, feels at wrong the
0: data, not a you
1: yeah, yeah where I mean it's probably making your manager's life work life stressful if if the execs are mad at someone they manage for mm-hmm. a presentation. but if they agree like yep you you did the right thing, you showed the right data and like we'll deal with them being mad if, if they're on your side, this will go so much better.
0: Yeah so I I'm, I'm hearing you say you have a pre-meeting with just your CTO. So that you can get on the side of your CTO and let them air any concerns they have in that meeting, get that all out in the open, clean up anything they want you to, do, change anything about how it's presented, then go sit down with the CTO and CFO. Yeah. Now he'll be on your well, side. Well
1: so there are four people in the question. The manager is separate from the CTO. Oh, my so I bad. wasn't even thinking that. But that, oh, that could be right. useful as well if it's if it's possible. Yeah, if, Maybe that's, it if is it's possible tough to get time, yeah, depending on Certainly with your manager, you should you should go through it in, in depth with them ahead of time.
0: I had a I actually had a super negative experience doing this once where I was I was kind of the staff slash principal engineer on a project and we had about there were about eight constituent teams on the project and all of those Mm -hmm. team leads would come together every week and meet with me and and we would go over some of the kind of system level problems that need to be solved. Well, we had a meeting coming up and we were we were pretty much pivoting from, okay, we've we've designed everything out. Now we're going to start building it all. And so beforehand, mm-hmm. I met with someone who was even more senior than me who also attended these meetings and was kind of the adult in the room. But, sorry, that probably sounded demeaning, but we were all pretty young, <laughs> so... Yeah. I, viewed, I viewed this person as the adult in the room, and so I sat down with him beforehand, and we went over the plan. I talked about everything that we had done, and I talked about how I was going to pivot, you know, the the project to start delivering. Now that now that we've got all the plans and architecture and designs all pretty much pinned down, we can now start coding. So we then walked into the meeting, and I stood up and I said, more or less, what I had said in front of this other person privately, and mm-hmm. he stood up and interrupted me right in the middle of the meeting. And was like, no, you just, you cannot do this. You have to do more documentation first. You blah, 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 blah. And he just, he spent several minutes just essentially erasing everything I had just said and gave new direction. Mm. Even though we had just spent like half an hour going over everything in his meeting, in his office privately beforehand. And I was irate. I was like, look, Mm. why, why did you do that? I mean, either you did it intentionally to be a jerk or you just, didn't have the foresight to know that that would be the right thing to do in the private meeting. And either way, it, it casts you in a bad light. And I actually left that company within about a year of that because mm. it would just it just rubbed me the wrong way so badly. I think mm. I would have thicker skin about it now, but boy, that, that just really pissed me off. So yeah. that it could go this way too <laughs> for you.
1: Yeah. And if your manager doesn't have your back when you feel like you are right and you feel like you've tried ahead of time to like align and figure out what they wanted, that, that does feel like it might be time to, to do the old reliable. Yep. That's a tough, tough environment to work in.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Occasional disagreement is fine. I mean, correction and feedback is part of their job. But if, if you feel like, you know, I really tried and, and it did not work, then. Yep. That's tough. But I think you can do it.
0: Good luck. You can't control the people, but you can control when you quit your job.
1: Yes, you can. And you can control when you ask questions to the Soft Skills Engineering <laughs> yes, podcast. <you> can. <laughs> How can people do such a thing, Dave?
0: If you choose to so control yourself, you may go to softskills.audio and click the Ask a Question button, where you will see our form, which will present you with input boxes that you may choose to mm-hmm. fill or not fill. We love reading all the things that you have chosen to fill. You can be anonymous if you want, you can give us a fake name if you want but the social security number and credit card number are not optional just kidding we don't collect any (laughs) PCI compliance officers we do not collect credit card information thank you so much to everyone who fills out that form every week we love it and we really appreciate you supporting the show with your questions thank you we will catch you next week